Let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. And starting in verse 49, we'll read the word of the Lord if you'll stand with me to us this morning. This is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 49. Remember the word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked, who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O Lord, I remember your name in the night, and keep your law. This has become mine, that I observe your precepts. Lord, I pray that as we think through the difficulties of this life and why we even do what we do, why we try, why we bother, Lord, I just pray that these verses would encourage us to keep fighting, to keep turning to your word, to keep trusting in you, Lord, for you are faithful, you are worthy. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity this morning to speak your word, to encourage your people. And Lord, I pray that I would speak in honesty about what you've done in my life. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to have ears to hear, not just to hear the right things, but ears to hear and do your word. Lord, that it would not just be a delight in your word that results in uh, conversation, but a, a delight in your word that results in action and lives lived for your glory. Lord, help us to see in our lives how we can glorify you in every moment. I pray, Lord, you would guide our thoughts and... Lord, that even as I speak, your spirit would move in our midst, that you would quicken us by your spirit to discern and to hear your spirit move. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a, a few weeks since we've been in Psalm 119, and you may for have forgotten what we spoke about the last time, but I think it's very important in light of this section to kind of remember what Psalm 119.41 through 48 was talking about. This section was the Vav section of the Hebrew letter Vav, and in this section it would be easy to come out and think, wow, walking with God is always a victorious walk. There's never struggles, there's never hopelessness, because you have these sayings like, may your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. I trust in your word. I do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. I wait for your ordinances. I keep your law continually forever and ever. I walk at liberty. I seek your precepts. I will delight in your commands. I will lift up my hands to your commandments. 
I will meditate on your statutes. This is really what we all desire, right? We want to have this Christian walk. But how often does it seem like the struggles and circumstances and the worries of this life draw us away from this desire and this kind of a walk? I think more times than we care to admit. So it's easy to read those passages and be like, well, I can't be like that. And we talked about how we need the Lord. We need Him. He is the one who gives us this hope and this desire and this delight in His Word that we meditate on it. And we spend time with Him. But it's easy to get hopeless after reading those passages and then be, why do I even bother? Why, why, is, it, why is it worthwhile? We get, as I mentioned once, Eeyore Syndrome. You know, there's nothing good in the world. So why bother? That's the title of this message. Why bother? So in verse 49, we start the Zion section, which is the name of the, the alphabetical letter in Hebrew. So every one of these, again, every verse begins with this letter. And in this section, we see a remembrance. And I, I believe that it's when we forget that we stop bothering. That's when we decide we won't bother anymore because we've forgotten something. Something very important. And, and the psalmist realizes that. That's why he's saying, remember And what does he want to remember? Well, he wants the Lord to remember. Do we see that here? He says, remember the word to your servant. God, don't forget. It's easy for me as a Christian to get into a state of, why do I even bother? Why do we even try? And... In this case, the psalmist doesn't give up. He goes to the Lord. Because what has he been doing this whole time? He's been trusting in the Lord. Though he's suffering affliction, verse 50, though he has insolent or arrogant people deriding him, bullies coming against him, So though those things are happening, though he's passing through this world as a sojourner, he is going to the Lord and saying, Remember your word, not mine, not what I think I heard, but what you said. Remember your word, because I am your servant. I, I'm not just your co-equal, I am your servant. I am serving you. And so I live according to your word. I am not my own king. Unlike Saul, remember the bad example we started with, was it four weeks ago? Saul didn't act like a servant of the Lord, but a servant of himself. 
But if you move on, you see in the story of Hezekiah and David, we see a different person, a servant of the Lord. Someone who has determined to follow the Lord, and when they fail, because they forgot the word of the Lord, they seek Him. They don't stay in their own way. But especially with Hezekiah, we see a a strong correlation between these passages and the story of Hezekiah, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to share the message on Hezekiah prior to doing this passage. Because Hezekiah brought to remembrance God's word to him. He constantly went back to the temple and reminded the Lord of his promises. And he didn't forget. How often when we are tempted to quit or we decide to quit and give in to sin, is it because we have not gone to the Lord and asked Him to remember His Word and reminded Him, I'm your servant. I must know your Word. I must follow your Word no matter what it costs. And so, as Christians, we need to remember two things. We're His servants and that His Word for His servants is always True. Will never fail. Why would the psalmist want the Lord to remember his word? One, obviously we have, he's his servant. But secondly, in verse 49, it says, In which you have made me hope, or caused me to wait. I've waited on your word, O Lord. I'm waiting on it. I'm not moving on. I'm not going to go to the bank and and hope in them. I'm not going to go to um, this source to find my hope. I'm not going to Egypt, right? Like many of the kings of Israel. I'm not going to Egypt to to try to get hope. I am turning to the Lord, just like Hezekiah. God had caused Hezekiah to hope in him. And so because God had done that work in his heart that he could hope in the Lord, he was not going to be dissuaded. He was going to continue to return to the Lord and say, Remember what you said? I'm your servant, and I am hoping in your word, and that is why I am here. Are we hoping in the word of the Lord? Are we waiting upon the Lord? Does it actually concern us that God has made a promise to us? I hope so, because if we are not bringing to remembrance the Lord, His Word, there's one of two problems. We don't trust the Lord anymore, or we've forgotten His promises. Maybe we need to remember Maybe we need to question to whom our service is being given. Whose word are we listening to? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we are 
hearing words, but they're not God's words. They're the words of this world, of what's going around. There's some so-called Christian artists out there that are trending on Apple Music and Spotify, like top three. And shockingly, well, maybe unshockingly, these artists are, well, this one specifically is a homosexual, living in that lifestyle. I'm not talking about somebody who has come out of that and been born again, but someone who is living in sexual sin. And this person is top three on the charts of those two platforms. So it would be easy to, to hear their music and begin to be dissuaded to follow their truth. And this is why we have to be discerning as Christians. Discernment has decreased more and more in the church. I don't believe so in the true church, but many churches have thrown discernment out the window in favor of a better worship service. Right? They've, they've got out the cart and they've decided that the cart's a better way to transport worship from one place to another. Right? This is going back to King David and, and bringing the ark into Jerusalem. They think they know better how to worship God. And so the more and more that we reject the word of God and his promises, and remember we are his servants, the more our living in our life will be formed by the word of this world. And the further and further. It's not that these churches that are deciding to do things for convenience or entertainment or, or whatever, it's a slow fade. It's not like yesterday they were steadfastly following the word and then today they're suddenly... No, it, it's a slow compromise. Well, we want to make sure these people stay. We want to make sure these people stay. And before long, you have nothing to stand on because you've started to disattach yourself from the Word. Or as Andy Stanley said, unhitch yourself from the Word. Right? He wants to unhitch himself from the Old Testament. I guess he would not like any of the messages I've preached in the last six months, because that's all I've been preaching from. I want to propose that we hitch ourselves to the Word, that we attach ourselves so tightly that it cannot be broken. Because if we are not finding hope in His Word, we will inevitably be hopeless. Hope only comes from the Lord. It does not come from other sources. All other, all other hopes will fail. So we remind the Lord because we're His servants and we have hoped on His Word because of His work in us. So when we think, why bother... 
We have hope because He spoke to us. And then in verse 50 it says, This is my comfort in my affliction. What is? I believe He's referring back to His Word. His Word is His comfort. When affliction comes, when persecution comes, He's not saying, I want to give up now. It's too hard. Because He knows what God has said. This word comfort is also very close and can be translated rest. This is my rest. I like that translation a little bit better. This is my rest in my affliction. And where it says here that your word has revived me, this idea is your word gives me life. Not death, just like the apostles. Remember, Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? All his other disciples, he had lots of people falling around. And, and when Jesus began to talk about his blood and his, his body being broken for them, and that they had, had to eat and drink of that, many people walked away. Oh, this is too hard. So Jesus turned to the twelve and said, are you going to leave me too? And what did he say? What did Peter say? He said, your words are life. Where will we go? Is God's word life to us? If we have found hope and comfort in his word, then they will be. They will revive us when we feel down, when affliction comes our way and we just want to quit. They'll bring life back. How do you think our persecuted brothers and sisters persevere in difficulty when their wives and children are killed before their very eyes? This is happening around the world. It's not happened here yet, but if God's judgment is not withheld, it will come. But if we want to have life in the midst of difficulty, when the question, why do I even bother, comes to mind, if you want to have life then and not give up, it has to be according to His Word. It will not come from a moralistic teacher or a, a hype man or somebody that can speak a lot of good words and Oh, yeah, if you just do these things, it, it'll just make your life so much better. We don't need TED Talks when the difficulty comes. We need God's Word. I'm not putting down TED Talks. They're, they're interesting. But we don't need those kind of Christians in our lives. People who have these great ideas, and, and, but none of it comes from the Word. We need Jesus. We need His Word in our life because when why bother comes to our mind... It's only going to be His Word that sustains us, that gives us hope, and gives us life and an example for the world. The world will not ask you what hope you have if all you experience is a peaceful, calm life. They will ask you why you have hope when you suffer affliction and you still have joy and peace and hope. They'll say, what, what is wrong with you? 
You've had your house taken. You've had your, your kids taken. You've had all this happen, and yet you still have joy. How is that possible? And then the doors open. Why do you think the apostles were able to spread the gospel in the known world so quickly? Because when they suffered affliction, they continued to return to the promises of God. They continued to return to the Word of God. They took comfort. They rested in the Lord and His Word. They had determined, we will serve you. You are the Lord of our life. And so, because God was the King of their life, they hoped in Him. They took rest in Him. And when affliction came, they had life. Because they remembered. Remember my king. He said he would come. He said he would fight for me. He said he would defend me. Right? Hezekiah, remember? Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. And, and what was it that the enemy tried to get them to do? To doubt the word. He, he, he told the people, Hey, don't let Hezekiah convince you to trust in the Lord. Why? Because the enemy knows if we trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter how bad the circumstances are, we will have hope and we will have life. Verse 51 is a very clear parallel to the story of Hezekiah. Sennacherib is, is, uh, is this guy. The arrogant utterly deride me or completely to the entirety, to the extreme is actually the Hebrew extremely deride me. Or this word arrogant is actually the word insolent which no one knows what that means, myself included until I looked it up in a dictionary. But that's where we get the word insult. Used to be in the way back, if you were called an insolent one, that was borderline a curse. It was like cursing someone using a curse word today. If you were insolent, you were a rude, socially inept person who was ignorant. Really, what it de describes, when I looked at the description of an insolent person... It's a bully. So the bullies utterly insult me. They make fun of me. They, they push me around. Isn't that what Sennacherib was trying to do with Hezekiah? Trying to make fun of... Oh, Hezekiah, how can you believe in God? What's wrong with you? Oh, y'all are going to eat your own dung and all that stuff. I mean, that's not... That's pretty, pretty much online with what bullying is today. Make fun of you. How dare you trust in God? Just get on Facebook and, and post a few posts and see, see how, how good of a response you get. Verse 
Are we going to bend under the pressure? When people began to arrogantly insult us, when they take their insults to the extreme, it just made me think of political ads. Not that any of us are running for political office, but isn't that what they do? They, they send investigators. You, you decide you're going to run for office these days? You better be prepared because they're going to find somebody that knew you when you were in fifth grade. And they're going to find out that you uh, smacked somebody or threw a rock at Sally Joe, And they're going to make sure, did you know that so-and-so throws rocks at girls? Right? The devil is much like political ads. He does not care about you. And so he will do everything he can to attack your credibility, to attack your character as a Christian. He will do everything he can to bring up the past so that he can dissuade you from following God. It's kind of like blackmail. Right? We were listening to the book of Nehemiah uh, yesterday, and they did that with Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah was building the wall, and it's incredible. In 56 days, they restored the wall around Jerusalem. Half of them were guarding, and half were building the wall because all the enemies around wanted them not to build the wall back. And then when they finished the wall, these these leaders who were enemies of them crafted a fake letter or a, a false letter saying that Nehemiah was trying to, to build a kingdom for himself, that he was going to be king, and, and that, that he was just doing this all for himself. And they said, if you don't stop doing this and just let us come in, then we're going to tell the king about you. They're, we're going to tell the king. We're going to send this letter to the king. What were they trying to do? They were trying to attack the character of Nehemiah and the people who were working with him to try to dissuade them from doing what God had told them to do. So are we going to bend? Are we going to turn away? The psalmist says, Yet I did not turn aside from your law. I kept going. I kept straight on your path. This word, turn aside, is bend like a, a stick, like a willow. You know how we bend willows and to make chairs and all that? It's the idea. So we can translate this, but I have not bent away from your law. I am not turning away from it because it's too hard. I'm staying on the straight and narrow because your word is truth. Your word is truth no matter what anyone says and how much they make fun of me. Because I do remember your word. I'm just asking you to remember yours, Lord. Right? Because in verse 52, he says, I 
have remembered your ordinances from of old. This word translated of old is forever. This idea of from eternity past. I have not stopped and I will not stop is the idea. I will continually bring your word before me so that I do not forget it. Because I need your word daily. And again, we have this idea of rest. I comfort myself, O Lord, in your word, in your ordinances. And what happens when we find our comfort in the midst of affliction? What happens when we are arrogantly made fun of, when we continue to stay on the path of the Lord and His Word? When the Word of God is a constant reminder to us of His faithfulness, when we see His commands and the result of obeying His commands, what happens There should be a result like in verse 53. If we are following the Lord diligently, verse 53 should be our response to sin. He says, burning indignation, or it's better translated, raging heat. Raging heat has seized me because... Of the wicked. Or this this word seize is like grasped me in its hand. I can't help it. Why? Because I know the word of God. And I know how righteous and holy and perfect my God is. And so when I see the wicked living in the way that they live, it makes me angry. This is righteous anger, right? Remember Jesus? He went into the temple to clean it out because they were using God as a means to make money instead of seeking to provide a, a way of helping the poor and the needy. They were oppressing them by saying, well, oh, you, we'll sell you this lamb so you can sacrifice, but it'll cost you three times the price of a lamb anywhere else in the city. It's kind of like getting gas in the middle of downtown, Right? <laughs> Except you don't give gas as an oblation to the Lord, but um, they're like, well, you know, if you want to worship the Lord here, you got you got to pay three times the price for this pigeon or whatever they're needing a dove or. So Jesus, in righteous anger, he saw their wickedness, and a raging heat came over him, and he turned the tables and kicked them out. He's like, the house of the Lord shall be a house of prayer. So why is he so angry? Why, why should we be angry at the wicked? Not meaning we don't share the gospel with them, but why should we be angry at wickedness? Because it forsakes the law, right? Verse 53 describes who these wicked are and what they're doing. Who forsake your law? Or better, abandon your law. They just do whatever they want, whatever feels right. 
How many of us love lawlessness? Our culture has shifted to lawlessness, right? There's a love of lawlessness with many now until it reaches their own front door. Oh, you can be lawless in Minneapolis, but don't come to my front door, <laughs> right? You can be lawless over there, but just, just don't come to Shelbyville or Chaplin. There's lots of lawlessness in Chaplin. <laughs> Not really, I don't think. It's amazing how we're quick to forsake the law, but as the moment somebody sins against us, we're quick to jump back on and say, how dare you do that? But that's what wickedness is. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's okay for us, if we're living in sin, to live that way, but if we see someone else doing it, it's wrong. I'm not talking about Christian. I'm just talking about the world in general. Sinful nature. Sin is always hypocritical. There is no one who lives in sin who is not a hypocrite. Because you cannot live in sin and have a standard for life. Because you are already breaking a standard that God has set. That's why many of these atheistic apologists or, or people who like to argue for atheism, they can't have a standard because if they actually stay true to it, they have no meaning. So they won't admit to that fact. Because a lot of their arguments against Christianity are based on the idea that if there's a good God, why, is, why do bad things happen? Well, if there is no God, there's nothing bad. It's all subjective, right? If there is no God then why do we even care what people think about us? Because we might as well enjoy the life however we see is fit and proper. But because we have the Word of God, and we love His Word, and we delight in His Word, and though we are afflicted, made fun of, we don't turn away. And we hate wickedness. We don't set ourselves to be entertained by wickedness. This, this specific passage, passage really speaks to me about what we put before our eyes, what we listen to. What is it promoting? I mean, just think about this. One of the most tame TV channels in, in the national uh, cable list, Hallmark, is now promoting and, and actually filming homosexual wedding movies. And if you turn on the majority of you know, CBS, Fox, any of these um, weeknight television shows, the majority of them are promoting with gusto these kinds of relationships. LGBTQ, 
transgender, all this is being promoted on our televisions every night. Or even, for Christians, divorce. Making light of it as, as though it's no big deal. So what are we, are we delighting in what should be bringing anger? Righteous anger, not, not anger caused by our selfishness, which typically comes with children. But anger that is caused by realizing that God is righteous and He has created every single person who is on the planet earth and that we are to serve Him. That's all He desires. His, us to serve Him. What do you say? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what He's calling us to, faithful servanthood. But do we delight in wickedness? Because if we do, that really goes to Romans chapter 1. If you'll turn there really quick. This could be a, a check for us. A, so Paul has this list of people who are in sin. Starting in verse 28, and I'll, I'll read that. And just as they do not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, what, the commands of God, the judgments of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Is what we listen to and, and watch approval of something? Maybe not if we get up and walk out, right? Have you ever been to a movie and had to walk out? I have. Didn't know that it was going to be like that. Wish I'd walked out sooner. I gave the movie a chance I shouldn't have. But if we continue to allow those things to be a part of our life, then it, it's a sign that our heart needs to be returned to the Word. Do I delight in You, Lord? Because when I fall into sin, this is the question that comes to me. Lord, why do I want that? Because I love Your Word, I want to follow You, and I want to glorify You. I think we all deal with this in our lives. When sin is given way, and given an opportunity is, Lord, why do I want that? Right? Because why do I want to lie in that situation? Why do I 
get angry at my kids or why do I do this in my business and, and why do I look at that or why do I entertain that or, or all, all these things. And that's where we have to cry, give me a clean heart, O oh God. Search me and know me. Expose those things in my heart that I didn't know were there. That's the, the only advantage to sin, not that we should sin, but when we fall into sin as Christians is to question ourselves, why? What is it in me that makes me love sin instead of have burning indignation or hot anger at wickedness? So the psalmist remembers the word and it becomes a comfort and a hope to him. But you know one way, a practical way to be continually reminded of God's word? One way that he practically did? Look at verse 54. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Or in my sojournings. But we're all sojourners. This, we're aliens, not from outer space, but aliens. Our kingdom is not here. Our king is not this world. Our king is the king of heaven. We, are, we have another home, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the great faith men of Hebrews chapter 12 or 11. But we're looking to another home. And, and so, you want to have peace and joy and be constantly remember, remembering the Word of God? Find songs that, that speak the Word. Don't get these, no offense to some, but don't get these love songs that, are, that could be easily turned to conversations to your boyfriend or girlfriend. Give, get rich music. There's so many options out there for us as Christians to sing the songs. They sang the entire Old Testament. The scribes did. That's why in the Hebrew Bible they have accents. They're called canticle marks. And so that's how they would remember the word. They would sing it. And they knew... Exactly the number of words and letters in the verse. Each section. Some of these scribes are so good that you could just tell them one or two phrases and they'd be like, da-da-da-da, and they could fill in all the information around it. Why? Because they sang the Word. The Word was their life. It was not just what they lived by, but they sang it. It was a memory to them. That's another reason why I think the psalmist wrote Psalm 119 the way he did. To be sung, to be remembered, to be memorized. When we delight in God, we want to sing about Him. We want to sing His words. We want to be reminded of His words. 
And one of the best ways to remember is through song. There are lots of really good resources out there that have memory memory verses sung. I can remember growing up, we had Steve Green, and if you know who the donut man was, we do those with our kids too. But they would sing verses as a song. And I can still remember the songs and the verses because of the song. So maybe in your daily devotions, you should start singing the verses to yourself. <laughs> Figure out, become a, a song, a song uh, you can be a melodist, because the, the word's already here, but you can create a melody to sing it to. Maybe you, you sing it to uh, Goodnight Moon or something, or some other Swan Lake, or I don't know. You pick the, you pick the tune, but you can put the words to it. But it's, it's interesting, I was thinking about this, this, the fact that he's singing these songs in the house of his pilgrimage. What? What's he saying? He's saying, this house where I live, that's not my home. My home is heaven, and so he's singing the songs of heaven while he's here at home, in his house here. It just reminds me of refugee communities throughout the, the centuries. Just think about the Jews when they went to Assyria and, and then also to Babylon. They put their harps away, they, but they still continued to sing the songs. Those 70 years, they sang the songs. And then, the how do you say the word? Diaspora? Or when the Romans came and destroyed the temple... And they were spread out in, in Germany and Russia and throughout. They sang the songs. They continued to sing the songs. And refugee communities do today. How do they keep their culture alive and their memories of home? Because that, just because they came out of those places doesn't mean they don't have a, an attachment to it. And so they sing the songs of home to remember the good times. Not necessarily the bad. I think that's why Fiddler on the Roof has a very, you know, has some funny things in it. But what are they doing? They're singing songs about life and the hope that they have. Or in some of the songs, not so much hope, but fear. But it's easy in our pilgrimage on this, on this earth to forget what home is like. Because we've never seen it. To forget what God has in store for us. And so when we sing in song, when we are doing that, when God's statutes are songs to us, we won't give up. We won't bend under the pressure. We'll continue to stay straight and strong. And just like the trees out west, uh, the big redwoods, looking for the sun. We're going to get to the sun. That's what, not that we attain to that, but we're, we're growing straight up. We're not looking to left or right. We're going straight for the sun. S-O-N, not S-U-N. 
And when the night comes, verse 55, we can say, Oh Lord, I remember your name in the night. Right? The night is that difficult time. That time of difficulty. Just like that novel by Elie Wiesel. Pretty depressing novel. It's a essentially his life story, but when the night comes, we remember his name. And what do we do? We keep his word. We keep his law. Not by our own strength. Obviously, we're Christians. We're, we're not legalists. But by the power of Christ in us and his Holy Spirit, we're remembering his name. Jesus, you are Lord, so I will serve you through your power in my life. And, and when the night comes, when the, the afflictions come against us and the arrogant make fun of us, the bullies in our lives, we keep his word and it becomes ours. What becomes ours? That we observe his precepts. They're ours. It's not someone else's. And this existence, this, this idea is, this has existed to me. What? That I kept your precepts, that I have kept them. It becomes true of me, because a Christian who does not suffer persecution is not truly a Christian. No offense to... In the end, it is those who come through, those who are overcomers. And I'm not saying that we all have to suffer persecution like the church in China, but we all will suffer persecution of some kind. Those who live, who will live godly, what? Will suffer persecution. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So if we do not suffer persecution... We won't come to the place where, Lord, I've kept your precepts. Even when it was difficult, when the night came and everything was against me and the wicked were making fun of me and the government or whomever were, were persecuting me in the night of affliction, I kept your precepts. Why? Because you were with me. Because I am yours. And you are mine. Your songs filled my heart in the night. Your words were a constant reminder of your faithfulness. And I knew I could come to you and ask you to remember your promises that you made me hope in. We cannot keep the Word of God unless He's with us, with us in entirety. And that's why we need to know His Word. If, if His Word is a distant reality to us, then when difficulty comes, we'll, we'll just walk away. Because His Word is a part of Him. He is the living Word, right? John, 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we're called to be His ambassadors. The true Christian is the person who, in the midst of pressure, affliction, persecution, difficulty and trial, that continues to follow God. Doesn't give up. When everything is going against them, when being honest could cost them their job, their home, their provision, their family, they continue to obey the Lord. That's what Christian, the Christian walk is about. It's, it's not about having all these things. Those are additions that God gives, but are we willing to walk away from all that? For Christ... When the question comes to us, why bother? Why do I even try? When that question comes, what will be our response? Will our response be eight verses about the Word of God in the midst of affliction and and difficulty and, and insults and the night of this life and and in our sojourning that we turn to Him in song? Is the truth of God our light in the darkness or is it something else? Where is our hope? Where is our peace? I believe we bother because God's Word is true. If you don't bother, you don't believe that His Word is true. And, unfortunately, if you don't persevere through the dark night of the soul, you won't come on out the other side believing because you didn't persevere. You didn't stick with it. So I want to encourage you as, as much myself, don't quit. Don't give in. Hope in the Lord. Hope in His Word. Trust Him with all your heart. And don't let the world convince you that He cannot be trusted. The world is working in unity with the devil. They have no discernment. And unfortunately, the world has crept into many churches And those churches are losing discernment and maybe even a relationship with the Lord. And they're just going to be buildings. We need discernment and we need it according to God's Word. Let's rely on Him in the midst of darkness and affliction. Because if we do... We will see our hope come true. Our hope has already come, right? In Christ, we know that. But if we don't hope in Him when the dark night comes, it won't matter 
what we say, we have to live it out when the difficulty comes. Let's pray. Lord, give us, by your strength and your spirit, courage to stand for the truth of your word and to rely on your word when difficulty and affliction come. Lord, let us not be those who turn to our own ways when the darkness is creeping in. Instead, Lord, make us people who hear your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, your word is true. And we need it every day. Give us not only a delight in your word, Lord, but a willingness to live by it. Courage to stand by it when affliction comes. Lord, as our world is turning more and more away from you, we ask for strength and wisdom and discernment to stand against the enemy. To stand against wickedness in the church and to have hope when we're insulted, when affliction comes, when things seem to be hopeless. Give us the ability to hope in you, Lord, in your word that you have made us hope in. Be with us today, we pray. Encourage our hearts with your word and draw us closer to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.